Hi, everybody. Stefan Molyneux here with our favorite, everybody's favorite redhead who's interested in monetary issues, Michael Maloney, the founder of GoldSilver.com, a global leader in gold and silver sales. He's also the author of the best-selling, and I certainly recommend, Precious Metals Investment Book, the best-selling one of all time, Guide to Investing in Gold and Silver, Protect Your Financial Future. It's GoldSilver.com and Twitter.com forward slash Mike underbar Maloney Mike. How are you doing? How's life in, in sunny Puerto Rico? Uh, well, Puerto Rico is still quite a mess. Uh, there's, you know, I was in California during the hurricane, so I got to miss that, which was very nice. And all of the uh, people that moved down here with me, the people that I work with, uh, were able to get out, one of them just like an hour before the hurricane hit. It was the, actually the last plane out of the airport. And uh, uh, so they were all able to join me in California, and uh, we rode the hurricane out there in in 72 degree weather that was just perfect it was great uh but uh, i've been back a few times since and then just last week i got back here pretty much permanently but <clears throat> all of the traffic lights are blown out of the, <laughs> the there's there's no traffic lights working anywhere and what's amazing is the traffic gets along just fine <laughs> until some authority figure comes along and tries to direct traffic. As soon as there's a traffic cop, everything gets screwed up. Uh, so it just shows you how the free market uh, can work if you let it. Oh, I did a video years ago on a, a town in Europe that had all this problem with congestion and traffic accidents and so on. And they had a picture of like, it, it looked like some spider web of, of lanes and, and signs. And they just took it all out, just painted everything black, took it all out. And traffic congestion went way down. Accidents went way down. It's like, hey, turns out when you stop controlling people, funny story, they actually start to control themselves to much better effect. Yes. So we're going to talk about the Fed. Now, this is not particularly provoked by rage at my listenership sometimes, but every single time I talk about the Federal Reserve, I get the same comments. And I just, I want people to know that I know, but it's better that you tell them because you know even more than I do. So they say this, Mike, they say, don't you understand that the Federal Reserve is a private bank? It is about as much in common with the federal government as Federal, federal Express does. And it's like, I kind of know that. But it's got a monopoly on currency. Uh, it, it, you have to use the legal tender to pay your taxes and for other things. So the idea that it's somehow a free market institution, it's more in the fascist model. It's public control or public um, protection from competition, but private profiteering. That's more fascistic. But yeah, I do understand it is not a direct arm of the government. Is that a fair way to put the, the tension? Yeah. It's a hybrid. I mean, it's uh, sanctioned by the government and can never have any competition, just like you said. So it's not truly free market, even though it is private. It's privatized profits. Uh, the, any losses are shared by the public, of course, or will be, uh, because their balance sheet is so screwed up that, uh, you know, one day uh, there's going to be a big problem. So, but uh, it's, it's, it's highly immoral when uh, currency is created. It's theft, and it's theft of you know we trade huge portions of our lifetimes for currency. So uh, when they take a part of it through inflation, they're actually taking part of your lifetime, and you have to work hard to sort of replace that lost purchasing power that you can't see. It wasn't directly taken out of your bank account or out of your pocket. It was uh, taken out of your pocket and bank account by making the uh, purchasing power of each unit of currency smaller or less. And so, you know, prices don't go up, the currency goes down. 
And it's because of the Federal Reserve and fractional reserve lending, both of which are highly immoral and they're theft. Right. And the funny thing is, too, if it was the free market, of course, there would be options and choices. And yeah. also, would you necessarily want to, if you had the choice, have a currency that caused your savings to dissolve? Like when I first came to Canada in the 70s, a candy bar cost 10 cents. I remember that because, uh, you know, when you're a kid, you measure everything in, in sugar quantities. <laughs> and um, then within, I don't even know how long, but it wasn't that long, uh, it went up to like 80 cents, 90 cents a buck. I mean, things were just going mental. I mean, not Weimar mental, but pretty mental, like a tenfold increase in not that long a time. Who on earth would want that as part of their currency portfolio? Work really hard, trade absolute hours for relative currency and then watch it slowly dissolve into smoke. Nobody would choose that if they had a choice. Well, this is the great thing about the internet and, and programs like yours is people can actually find out about this. Nobody really understood back in the 60s and the 70s what was causing all of that inflation in the 70s. Uh, they just, they were victims of it and uh, they didn't know that it was actually being caused by the people that have the uh, arrogance, uh, the hubris to say, oh, I know how to run things. I can, I can do it better than the free market. Let me through here to the front. I'll show you the way to do things. And uh, these people that uh, run the central banks, these Keynesians, it's impossible to have all of the information that goes on in a society. Only the free market has that through the price discovery mechanism. And, uh, and so everything they do has con unintended consequences that they can't see that come back to haunt them later. Oh. And part of that haunting is the theft of purchasing power, causing a candy bar to go from 10 cents to a buck. It is it's horrifying in, in so many ways because there's an old saying that nothing is more permanent than a temporary government program. Like here in Canada, the income tax was a temporary measure put in just for World War I. Don't, don't you know? It seems that war, well, it never ends. But here's the thing that's amazing about the Fed, which is – they regularly, decades later, admit that they completely screwed things up. Like you got Bernanke saying, oh, yeah, the, the, uh, the stock market boom in the 1920s, followed by a 13-year Great Depression, followed by, you know, the deaths of 50 million people in the worst war known to mankind. Oh, yeah, a lot of that was the Fed. Oh, totally. Now they admit that stagflation, right? The whole theory, right? Oh, you've got too much uh, of this. You've got to balance it with that. And, and now they, ne they never should have been uh, a stagnant economy with uh, with high inflation, but they managed to produce it. Stagflation in the 70s completely destroyed the Keynesian theory, but it doesn't matter because they already have the power. The politicians are already dependent upon the free money, and therefore you can't cancel it even when they admit the most egregious. Basically, if the Fed in the 1920s in particular, if the Fed was inflicted on America by a foreign power, it would have been considered an act of war. Uh, you're absolutely right. And, and when it comes to all of these unintended consequences, wait until you see what's coming. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> because the things that they did that caused the Great Depression and uh, all of the things that you just talked about, uh, the things that they did, the manipulations, were minor compared to zero interest rates and uh, more than $3 trillion of currency creation. Uh, this This is the greatest manipulation that there has been of an economy in history. Uh, what's interesting is, you know, it all went to Wall Street and we've got this sort of uh, fake recovery. And if it wasn't fake, you would see uh, the, what you see is that 
they pumped a bunch of currency into Wall Street, uh, in, into the base money supply, and the Wilshire 5000 uh, total market cap index, which is basically the value of the stock market, went up almost exactly with it. I mean, it was a, the correlation was astounding. Uh, but uh, tax revenues, after about two years of this, leveled off and started falling. And that means if, if, if Main Street was getting it, tax revenues would be increasing, and that would be absolute proof that this was working. Uh, what this was was theft from the populace to the to Wall Street. You know, it was a gift. Ben Bernanke just transferred a bunch of people's lifetimes to Wall Street. They get to, uh, you know, ride around for free on this. Basically, they, you know, Wall Street doesn't produce much of anything that somebody would open up their wallet and buy. They don't produce a, a good or a service uh, that you know that you can live in, eat, drive around in, or wear. And uh, so uh, they're fairly useless, actually, except for handing out back and forth digits and hoping to gain more of them. And they're usually handing back and forth your digits and they're skimming off the top. Oh, yeah. No, we're, we're told it's a blood bank, but actually it's just a congregation of vampires. Uh, oh, it's necessary. It's going to get you healthy. It's like, why, why, why can I not be killed now? And, and here's, right. here's the strange thing. Uh, can you just trace to people, I mean, I complain about the welfare state quite a bit, and the welfare state, which is the transfer of money from the productive classes to the less productive or non-productive classes, is a big issue. But if you widen it out, the welfare state that is going the other way from the poor, I mean, when you when you have inflation and you have money, you have financial advisors, you've got accountants and so on, you can do a lot to hedge it, you can do a lot to minimize it and so on. Same thing with tax increases and regulatory increases as well. But if you're poor and they're cranking out a whole bunch of money, I mean, it's just evaporating in your bank account. It is horrendous. I mean, as we know, inflation hits those on fixed incomes with little income or with less savings because it matters. If you lose 10% of $5 million, well, you can still get by. You lose 10% of $500, you are down uh, qu quite a lot. And so... How does it go from being created out of thin air by the Fed into the pockets of the Wall Street? Help people understand that that weird river that that had these corpses of currency float down. Uh, well, whenever new currency is created, it's the first users that get the benefit. Uh, everybody else then gets punished. By the way, you talked about uh, uh, first. You talked about the redistribution of wealth. The government taxing productive individuals and giving it to non-productive individuals. I mean, if they're going to punish success and reward failure, what are they going to get more of? But yes, uh, most people don't, you know, I interviewed Ron Paul back in 2008 when he was running for president at, or 2007, and he was talking about welfare for the rich and uh, way back then. And it is true. Uh, and this is uh perpetrated by everybody that can afford a lobbyist. you got to be able to afford your own lobbyist to get a piece of this pie. So uh, uh, it's, it's, a, it's an absolutely horrible thing. The uh, founders, founding fathers of the United States would be turning in their graves. Right. So the Fed creates some money. Mm -hmm. And then where does it go so that it ends up buying a yacht in the Hamptons or whatever they do out there? Well, when the Fed creates currency, that's base currency. It's the paper dollars that exist or uh, the deposits that the commercial banks have at the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve is the bank for the commercial banks. And there's uh, 28 uh, um, primary dealers, the commercial banks that are allowed to show up at the Treasury auctions 
through open market, they, they buy bonds from the government and through open, our open market operations, if the Federal Reserve wants to stimulate the economy, they force the banks to sell them bonds at a profit. So the, the, the banks love this. But now uh, the, an asset has been pulled off of their balance sheet and on a bank's balance sheet, cash is a liability. And so an, a, a liability has been added and their balance sheet looks worse. So with, with, when the banks have a bunch of cash, they want to get rid of it and create loans, supposedly. Uh, when they create loans, they have to compete and offer lower interest rates, and that indirectly stimulates the economy. So the Fed does this shell game that is sort of indirectly stimulates the economy by encouraging the banks to compete to create loans. But it's always the first users, and a lot of these banks are like Goldman Sachs and stuff, and they, you know, they're big brokerage houses, and they've got their own accounts uh, that they're trading on Wall Street, and so now they've got a bunch of extra cash that can be used for margin lending, and so uh, they get the basis for a whole bunch of leverage to go into the stock market and win more away from. So not only does it dilute the currency supply. Uh, but they get the full purchasing power of it because they're the first user. It dilutes the currency supply after this new currency enters circulation. And that lowers the purchasing power of everyone else. And so that's where the purchasing power came from. It was stolen from everybody else by lowering their purchasing power. It was a gift to these big banks so that they could then, then take that stolen purchasing power and gamble with it in the stock market and win even a greater share of the economy from you. Oh, it's terrible. I mean, it's like the richest and fattest people get the very best food and then the poor end up with a Venezuelan pigeon on a stick. I mean, it's just horrible, horrible stuff as far as that goes. And now I, you know, as far as the stock market goes, I mean, I'm with, I think it was Mises who said that, you know, the one thing that is required for free market is for there to be a stock market that's functional. I, you know, I think stock market is great. It takes a lot of skill and a lot of expertise to figure out which companies are going to make it, to figure out future demand and, and who's going to be the most efficient at running things. I mean, that's a big, complicated job of no problem with people getting paid well for that. However, <laughs> that having been said, remember, before the word but, throw out everything I just said, but or however, when it comes to being a financial genius – I'm not sure that borrowing money at 0% interest from the Fed and buying a bunch of bonds that pay you 3% qualifies you to be a financial genius anymore. No, it doesn't. Uh, and, and there's only a few people that get that privilege. That's the problem, borrowing money from the Fed at zero. Uh, but, you know, um, you were talking about the stock market and having value because that was the price discovery mechanism that created that value, that set things in equilibrium in an economy when Mises was talking about the, the, necess the necessity of a stock market. It helped the price discovery mechanism and uh, set supply and demand in equilibrium throughout an economy. Uh, but today, you've got a bunch of black boxes trading uh, not on fundamentals. Nobody's looking at the value of a stock. They're looking at the technicals of whether the stock is going up or down or whether the chart is making this pattern or that pattern, and they're trading off of that. And we've got this insane uh, stock market that's back up into huge bubble territory. You know, we've, we've talked before about the everything bubble. And <clears throat> that was like six months or nine months ago when we talked about that, you and I. And uh, uh, it's gone, it, it's still going insane. You know, we've had this uh, nice pullback that was uh, destined to happen. Uh, um, people didn't think so, though, that especially traders with the 
uh, low volatility index. Risk was not being priced into the markets. And this is a very dangerous thing because all of these black boxes are trading on algorithms uh, that when the technical indicators turn negative, they're all going to start selling at the same time. Wow. Uh, you saw the speed of this correction. You know, it, people were calling it a crash, but the, the first few days of it, it had only dropped back to the 50-day moving average, a place that it should normally be touching every few weeks. Uh, and uh, I made a video saying, well, it's going to go further because it's got to go back and touch the 200-day moving average. That's just something that markets have to do from time to time. And it did. Uh, but uh, still, the, the markets are insane, but the insanity can last much longer than uh, if, you know, if you've got sense, you would be saying, this can't last. I'll short the market. Well, that's not a good idea either because the insanity can last a lot longer than you think. Oh, well, okay. That, that touches on another issue that I think is really important. And the one thing I wanted to mention about this high-speed trading, there uh -huh. are companies that have actually built their own data lines or moved closer to the, the, the internet hub because they need to gain that tenth of a millisecond speed on this kind of trading. And that is not looking at fundamentals. I mean, nobody can read a spreadsheet that fast or go through an IPO uh, offering. So they really are crazy crazy volume trading on very hair trigger response times. Yeah, and that means that the uh, individual is pretty much excluded from all this. Those instant, uh, the, all the instant trading that they're doing, most of that is for themselves. Um, you know, if you've bought into a mutual fund or something, you've got a very slow uh, program that, that, that is uh, trading on uh, the technical indicators still, but it's over a long period of time. It isn't this uh, high-speed trading. that, um, uh, And so the individual, even uh, all of the, uh, you know, I've got friends that are stock traders, and they develop this system or that system, and they've got a program, but they don't have, they're, they're not right next to the main internet hub that's plugged into Wall Street. <laughs> and so they can't really win. Uh, it's... Uh, the, the, the game is rigged against the average person now. And so the markets have uh, less and less use for the economy. Uh, their basic use is to, uh, to transfer wealth uh, away from the average citizen at this point. I think it was Eric Sprott that said that the uh, small retail investor was the plankton of the financial world. And that the financial world needs him to feed off of. Uh, and that's a very good analogy, and it's absolutely true. So let's talk about another criticism that I think is reasonable to to address regarding those of us. How we look from the outside, I'm going to just give you a little, little imitation to some degree of, of how we look from the outside. It, it's sort of something like this. We're doomed. No, wait. Okay. Okay. Now, no, no. Oh, hey, wait. Okay. Doom. No, wait. Hang on. We got another, oh, no, no, now we're doomed. No, wait. Okay. A pull back. No, doomed. And I think that that feeling of this, uh, it's almost like we have doomed Tourette's or something like that. And I, there is this, um, I remember, gosh, back in the 80s, you know, reading people and talking about the doom. We're doomed. And things are lurching along in horrible ways. The debt is escalating and, and unfunded liabilities are through the roof. Derivatives uh, are through the roof. But... I just, I'm concerned about the crying wolf aspect of, of these kinds of conversations and how long this 
uh, death. You know, we used to call it when I was an actor, you know, you, you, ah, I've been shot, you know, and you stagger all over the stage for like 20 minutes, you're really milking the death. And I'm just a little bit, and there are criticisms which I can completely understand uh, yeah. about that approach to things. Yeah, well, you know, um, we tend to be right uh, once or twice a decade, though. <laughs> uh, the, just because you haven't died yet doesn't the, mean you're immortal, right? The insanity can go a lot longer than anybody can predict. I didn't think that this particular economic expansion, because it's not based on fundamentals, it was based purely on a manipulation. I didn't think that it could go along. It's, it's, you know, it's now the second longest one in history. And in less than a year, it'll become the longest economic expansion out of the previous 47 economic expansions and recessions. Uh, and uh, because it was created solely off of a manipulation uh, and because the fundamentals are just so far out of whack, it should uh, disintegrate. But the longer this goes on, the worse the reaction will be because it's all stored energy. The economy is a closed system. It isn't Keynesians think you can stick a straw into outer space and suck in economic energy. And you can't. You can transfer it from one sector to another, and that's about it. Uh, but uh, the when the market, the free market, overwhelms the manipulations and balances everything, it's going to be very, very painful for most people. It's going to reward certain people, because there's always a wealth transfer in these things. And I, I'm still confident. I mean, I've been uh, accumulating precious metals since 2002, and I still I made a large purchase of silver just uh, a week ago, I think it was, um, uh, and I believe that uh, these that I when I look at the markets, I know that the stock market is insane and way overvalued. I know that bonds are in this bubble that's been going in, you know they've been in a bull market for uh, since 1980. And, and that can't go on forever. And uh, the only thing that I can identify, you know, I have no idea how to measure something like Bitcoin. Uh, there's no history. You can't look back at 5,000 years of history and measure Bitcoin against an economy or against other asset classes and so on. So I can't say whether that's in a bubble or not. I have a feeling that the uh, cryptocurrencies may do well in the because it's an alternative financial asset. So you'll see people rushing at first toward bonds again, but gold and silver will be uh, skyrocketing. And then, uh, and, and that may include uh, cryptos. And so I well, sort of, of course, as you know, fiat currency is a debt-based instrument and cryptos are not. Fiat currency right. is limited in, is unlimited in its production and uh, cryptos are not. Uh, fiat currency has an enormous amount of regulations and controls, but you can wander around the world with your key in your head and have access to your cash anywhere. So, and of course, it's a whole programmable infrastructure. I've got a whole presentation on this. So that will be, it certainly will be interesting to see where that goes. And this idea that this has been such a massive growth in the economy, the big question I have for people who think it's sustainable is, okay, well, what was fixed in 2007, 2008? What changed? In nothing fact, nothing fundamentally was fixed. All there was a massive creation of money. There was an artificially low set of interest rates. And, you know, other economies had problems which made people flee to the U.S. dollar, which still remains the reserve currency and so on. I mean, what was fixed? Okay, hundreds of billions of dollars were transferred to Wall Street oligarchs and um, taxes and regulations went through the roof. What was fixed that justifies any kind of continued expansion? Nothing was fixed. Everything was made worse. Uh, and the The... Too big to fails got bigger. Uh, the you know everything is is worse than it was then. 
Uh, we don't. The only thing that's different is uh, we don't have the huge mortgage-backed security bubble with uh, the, uh, the you know with all the subprimes that have been packaged and sold as primes. Uh, that doesn't exist today. So that's about the only difference. Otherwise, everything else is worse. And and that just says that the next you know 2008 was just the first half of uh, we've been in this giant eye of the hurricane. 2008 was the first half. The second half of this hurricane is going to be a whole lot worse than than 2008. Uh, whatever happens is the cause is is caused by what happened before it. It's the result of what happened before it. And the manipulations that happened after 2008 were unprecedented. There's nothing like it in history. And the proof that uh, we're still in a major emergency is the fact that there's countries that still have negative interest rates around the world. Mm. And that, uh, you know, close to a decade after the, uh, 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 the global financial crisis, uh, the Fed is still at an extraordinarily low interest rate. When the 2008 crisis happened, they had uh, 5% available to cut. And they, did, they cut that to uh, 0.25 and created $3.2 trillion worth of uh, base currency. Uh, now they've they've got you know four trillion dollars worth of uh, base currency out there plus uh, I think the interest rates are one point two five now where where can they go from here the only thing they can go is is uh, negative and but to take things severely negative you would have to have a digital uh, uh, national currency the dollar would have to be a blockchain dollar a crypto dollar I can't even imagine I mean. Just for those who don't know, like negative interest rates are when your money is so crappy that you have to pay people to, to, to take it. And, and we all know what that means in the dating arena. You basically turn your girlfriend into a whore and negative interest rates turns the citizenry into prostitutes. Uh, and it is uh, horrible, horrifying stuff. And uh, it should be a wake-up call, but often these things go kind of unremarked upon. Certainly the mainstream media, I mean, the, the amount of economic illiteracy in the mainstream media is absolutely appalling, even by people who are supposed experts in this. Uh, and you, you got, you, to go there, you're just running off a cliff. Well, I, I see the great hope, though, as uh, being in the free market cryptocurrencies, and I hope that um, you know as many people as possible support this. Uh, I just did episode eight of Hidden Secrets of Money, which is called the Crypto Revolution from Bitcoin to Hashgraph. Hashgraph is a new technology that's the underlying uh, um, accounting system that replaces blockchain, uh, and it's just a uh, evolution of the, the episode is a report on the evolution of the technology and the space. But uh, this can either lead to freedom or enslavement, and it's our choice. And if we choose to, um, you know, eventually, country, right now, countries around the world are just beginning to come out with uh, crypto based currencies, with blockchain based or whatever. Um, and uh, as they do more and more, once you get, if it's not decentralized, if it's if it's government, that means that they can switch you off as a person. They can control you. They can lock you out of the financial system if they don't like you, and uh, uh, that means that they would be able to go to severely negative interest rates. Right now, if they went to a negative interest rate of say minus five percent, you just draw everything out of the bank and hold it at home in a safe in cash. And you wouldn't be getting this extra 5% annual tax that, uh, that they would try to inflict on you. But if all of the dollars are digital 
and it's basically you know dollars that are allocated to you that are always being held by the Fed. They're in their system, and they're just uh, creating settlement credits here and there uh, when you spend your money. But it's basically all in their accounting system. Then they can decide. Uh, not only do they know everything that you do and everything that you buy and every place that you go, but they can, if they don't like you, they can shut you off, and they can. Uh, tax you as you earn your income. And if they decide to uh, uh, make taxes retroactive, which I've seen done before, they change the, the uh, uh, tax uh, percentage and, and they make it retroactive back a year, they can just rip that out of your account. And another thing that concerns me, you know, even with all of the free market, um, uh, the distributed ledger technology that's happening that underlies Bitcoin that was introduced when Satoshi Nakamoto created Bitcoin in 2008, the full consensus distributed ledger technology is <clears throat> the thing that is going, whether it's based on blockchain or hashgraph or some technology yet to be developed. Uh, this is going to touch most aspects of our life. Uh, it's, uh, with Hashgraph, they, there's been video games developed on it, so it can actually record and, and uh, decide every motion in a video game. It's that fast. And so it can underlie just about everything on the internet and make a permanent record of it and make it fair and impartial. However, it's also a roadmap, and uh, there's a whole lot of people that aren't worried about artificial intelligence. And I'm actually not one of them, because uh, once it gains a certain amount of intelligence and its intellect is magnitudes greater than any human that's ever lived, when, <clears throat> it's, when there's all these distributed ledgers everywhere that have recorded everything we do, it's a roadmap to fully understanding human beings. And being able to uh, manipulate them. And, uh, and so, you know, I don't know what the future holds. I just know that there's a lot of dangers out there and we need to give these things a lot of thought and we need to talk about it. But we do need to, um, government uh, is the thing that uh, in inflicts the most pain on us and creates more suffering than anything else in our lives. Right. Um, right. There's, uh, and so... Being vigilant uh, for uh, the development of uh, distributed ledger technology, blockchain, uh, national currencies, and uh, uh, it's very important that we all decide what our future is now because I see this period of time as, you know, especially between now and uh, artificial intelligence becoming something really big. Uh, I see this period of time as a choice between uh, freedom and enslavement, and I hope that people learn enough to select freedom. Well, that yeah, that's the goal, certainly. I mean, there's going to be a crisis. The question is, which way do we head after the crisis? Because the crisis will be exploited by bad people to yes. expand oligarchical control over all of our lives, and we need to have a good counter-argument. And, and cryptocurrencies and so on is fantastic because as the um, – uh, as the value of fiat currency is at some point or another, as it always does, goes to zero, having an alternative that is already out there and embedded where you have a currency that's not, I don't know, camel teeth and bullets, you know, <laughs> like it's really, really cool that something like that has emerged. I myself not particularly concerned with uh, artificial uh, intelligence, maybe. I mean, I spent many, many years as a computer programmer and 
uh, computers are still only at the phase where you do what you what we tell them to. But let me ask you about this, because there are some bubbles, I think, that are kind of erupting from the swamp. I'm sorry, you were going to say? And you don't think that that phase of the computers doing what we tell them to is going to uh, switch one day? I don't see how increases in computational power magically create the incredible complexity of human intelligence. I mean, if you look at something like, I mean, if you have a dream at night, sometimes you can get amazing insights, creative ideas. Uh, some physicist, I think it was, came up with the structure of the carbon atom by, by a dr- through a dream of a snake eating its own tail or something like that. And those kinds of inspirations, nobody knows. I mean, if you can't say to the computer, okay, well, here's the d- dream you're going to have at night that's going to give you an insight. You, you, here's how you're going to create a novel that explores the human condition. There is still a fertility and creativity that is not just uh, computers, but not quite as fast. It's a different order and level of what goes on in the human mind uh, than, can ha- than can occur within computers. And faster computers... Uh, do not equal the human mind. Now, of course, computers can vastly outstrip the human mind in search capabilities and, and, and so on. But I don't see how a binary programmable gate, no matter how fast or how many of them are, are going to replicate what... Um, but I mean, the, I, would, I would be happy if some central planning was done over the computers, but again, it, it really depends all on the programming. Sorry, you were going to say? It isn't the speed, it's uh, the programming of the, the, its ability to self-learn, to not have to be told what to do, but to figure out what to do. And the better and better it gets at that, uh, it do, I, I don't know if it even needs all of this speed, uh, because uh, eventually it would have access to the entire internet. So all of these self-learning with computers, self-learning with computers is simply adapting to new information according to existing programming protocols. So again, uh, it's not quite the same as human beings. You know, if I learn Japanese, uh, I can create beautiful poetry, I hope, in in Japanese and so on. And uh, that is the kind of creativity and inspiration that I still think, I mean, computers going to have their place. That's why we're talking. So I think it's great. But I still don't know how and Maybe I just need more research in this, but I've read a fair amount of it. I still don't see how the fertility and creativity of uh, human uh, thought, of human consciousness, which, of course, we still don't really understand that well as yet. So computers don't learn in the way that people learn because you still have to program them what to do with the new information and how they then behave on that information is relatively predictable, where it's not the same as the human beings. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go on. Yeah, we'll see. So let's talk a little bit about some of these bubbles that are floating up from the swamp, you know, these these early warning signals. The two that I see, there is, of course, uh, I think some bubbles in the American auto loan, a lot of huge increases in delinquencies and so on. I think the big one that people don't see as much, and I think it's well north of a trillion dollars now, is the student loan bubble. My Lord. That is really quite astonishing. It's it, it, Higher education is not market-driven. It's push-driven. It's propaganda-driven. Uh, and uh, it is uh, selling people on increased earnings, which can't possibly be given to everyone now who has a university degree. What is it, north of 40% of people now? Or it used to be below 10% back in the day. And so I think the promise of, well, you know, go $50,000, $80,000 into debt and you'll end up being an executive somewhere can't be fulfilled for 40% of the population. And I think that bubble uh, is another indication that, and that's one I really hope will pop soon because a lot of damage I think is being done to people's minds in what used to be called higher education and now is base propaganda. Uh, So do you see any other, or do you agree with those ones? Or do you see any other ones floating around that are a concern to you? Um, Well, (laughs) I really, you know, 
real estate is back into a bubble. Uh, the stock market, like we said, was in a bubble. The, the uh, student loans is uh, one of the things that could pop the bubble. This is a, a debt thing that is very, very big. And you talked about auto delinquencies. Um, I, you know, living here in Puerto Rico, this is interesting because, you know, we've just had this hurricane and property values. It, here in Puerto Rico, uh, the laws are, um, there's, it's, it's hard to describe. You can have two houses that are identical right next to each other. If one has a wooden roof, it can't get insurance. Uh, it, and it doesn't qualify for insurance, so you can't get a mortgage on it. So it sells for cash, which means it sells for half the price of the one right next door. Uh, anything like that has fallen in value tremendously. There's this spiral going down. So it's like the bubble already got popped here. Mm. Uh, it's a, sort of a preview of uh, what's to come in the rest of the world. Um, what I see, though, is that economies are so interlinked today. Uh, it could be a problem in China, or it could be the Australian real estate bubble that finally pops. Uh, whatever it is will cascade in, in this chain effect around the world that, uh, and, and drag the world back into another financial crisis. And it's going to be worse than 2008. And, uh, uh, it's, and so the people that aren't talking about... Uh, uh, crying wolf and, and uh, perpetually being, you know, it's uh, we're doomed. Uh, well, uh, we're getting closer and closer to that point, and, and uh, it takes uh, an economic expansion that goes into a bubble. Once we pass this bubble point and it goes further and further, that's what causes the big reaction. And uh, uh, so, this something is going to happen within the next uh, year or two. And it's going, and the people that aren't prepared are really going to suffer. Uh, but yes, student loans is one of the biggies, and I don't believe that you can file bankruptcy against them in no. the United States. No. And so you really can't get out from under this debt. It, it ruins people's lives permanently. Uh, I, I know people that, and and so many people, very few people are taking courses in engineering or something that is going to be useful in the future. Uh, uh, you know, when you Go into, um, uh, if you want to be an actor, uh, to be really successful, this is like a 500 or a 1,000 to one shot. There's a whole lot of people that want to be actors and the successful ones, very, very small percentage. Uh, but even if you're uh, taking a, you know, if you're getting a degree in business, uh, this is something that, like you said, may not pay off these days just because there's so many people getting degrees and becoming that executive at some company. Uh, is a, a difficult thing. There's a ladder to climb. Right. So let's see if we can sell people on, on Doom. Uh, combine. Doom, now, 50% off. Get them while they're hot. Because for me, the sooner it happens, the better. I mean, not only just because, you know, if, if you're going to get out of drugs, then the, the less time you've been on drugs, the better, right? Uh, but also because I'm really concerned about the number of people not in the workforce and what it's doing to their intellectual capital, their motivation, their ambition, their human capital as a whole. I mean, it's just, you get out of the workforce, and what is it, close to 100 million Americans now, like of working age, kind of out of the workforce and so on. With the crash will come some pain, 
but will come a more rational reallocation of resources for productivity. Jobs will open up on the other side. Uh, significant freedoms, uh, entrepreneurial opportunities will open up on the other side. These massive social experiments like giant welfare states and, and huge mass migration programs and so on, uh, all of the warfare welfare state will be starved of money uh, on the other side of doom. And so I wonder, I mean, there definitely is a bit of a wood to go through and the wood has uh, eyeballs and tentacles, but on the other side, uh, what can people look forward to, do you think? Well, the problem that I see here is that such a large percentage of uh, people now are in favor of socialism. Mm. Uh, in the United States, it's a, it's a very large percentage. And I think you, it's close to 50% of youth. Yeah, right. And this is very disturbing. And there's going to be a whole lot more. When people are out of work and desperate, they tend to vote to take something away from somebody that else that still has something. And so the worst that this uh, uh, correction is, this coming uh, catastrophe, it's more than a correction, uh, the more likely I see of uh, the entire uh, social structure and political structure changing and moving much toward socialism or communism. Uh, and that really worries me because uh, you know, nothing will affect people's lives more than economics. The average person, unless there's a death in the family or they, they're diagnosed with cancer or something like that, there's nothing else that will affect your life more than, than economics. Economics determines the uh, political system that you live under, how much freedom you've got, and what your own level of prosperity is. And, but people don't want to know about it. Mm. <laughs> I try and talk about economics all the time and I like scare people off a, a, a lot of times I sit around a campfire I went to uh, see the total eclipse of the sun up in Utah and I'm sitting around a campfire with a dozen other people and I start talking about economics and after a while these women go I don't want to talk about politics and don't sit next to Mike he'll totally put you off your creme brulee it's just it's <laughs> horrible but they, they confuse economics with politics. It's mm. really funny that they don't even understand the difference. Between you can't economics. do much about politics, but you sure as heck can do some something about economics. You can prepare for it. You yes. can plan for it. You can, well, do all yeah. the stuff you talk about and have helped people uh, to understand. And your vote will help change future economics by uh, uh, the, the poly political system, the direction that it goes, and the particular policies. But I really, you know... Um, the wealth redistribution goes on with both parties in the United States. Uh, and I understand why um, the libertarians will never win, and that's because they're all independent. You can't get them all to like agree on one thing or do the same thing. And so uh, that's a party that will never become a major party. And it's, it's too bad because it's really the only party of freedom. Yeah, it's like that old, uh, there was an old album cover, um, he sells, but who's buying? And it's sort of like these conversations, freedom is for sale, but who's buying? Who's lining up? You know, there's freedom, which is going one direction, and then there's free stuff, or the appearance of it, which is like the other direction, and everyone's stampeding off that way. It's like Pied Piper, Cliff, have you not read this story before? Yeah, All right, well, listen, I, I really appreciate you coming in to, to talk about the Fed, just to remind everyone that... I do know that it's not exactly the same as a government uh, um, branch. But uh, again, it, it's not particularly material because you're forced to use its product and you're not allowed to compete with it. And its teller window is open to people only with monocles and top hats, it would seem. But uh, just wanted to remind people, the book is great. You should just pick it up and read it. Uh, no matter where you are in your financial journey, it's good to know. The, the book is called 
guide to investing in gold and silver protect your financial future it's goldsilver.com and, and make sure to check out mike's a very good twitter feed at mike under bambalani we'll put links to all of that below great chat my friend thank you so much for taking the time today the youtube series also hidden secrets of money is something that people should check out and the free stuff that you were talking about that comes with a free set of handcuffs. <laughs> That's right. Free, you know, it's uh, it's like if you can't can't get your own food, you can just commit a crime, go to jail, get three hearts and a con, and you've given up a lot more than you've got. So thanks, Emil. And yes, hidden secrets of money. We'll put a link to that below. The the work on that is, is excellent and well worth well worth exploring. So thanks again, Mike. A great pleasure. Okay, great being here. Thank you very much. <laughs> 